Welcome back, everybody, to So Every Soul Sings Worship for the Real Church. My name is Bethany Pedigo, and I'm here with my friend Rod Ellis. Thanks for joining us today. We are talking about leadership today, but not um, as being the person leading, but the person following a leader. So for those of you who are worship leaders, you are not the head pastor, most likely. Although there are some pastors slash worship leaders out there, and some churches begin that way. Uh, But we're specifically talking today about following the leader as in the head pastor of your church in the relationship that you have with that person and how to do it well. And uh, several years ago, I taught in a worship school on the topic of authority, because I think that has a lot to do with how we do this um, relating to someone who's in leadership over us. It has to do with a very unpopular word called submission, which is sometimes in marriage vows as well. And it's, you know, people just choke on it. um, I feel because it, it seems like a, a place that's not very free. It seems like a word that's associated with bondage. It seems like a word that's associated with um, abuse in some cases. And in fact, there's a book by John Bevere called Undercover. And I'm not going to get the quote exactly right, but he basically says, because some people have abused authority in the past, people who have experienced that tend to want to reject it completely. And I think that happens with people who have had abusive parents or, um, you know, domestic partners, etc. And also, um, sadly, I think that has happened in church settings as well. So that's a great setup for you. <laughs> how how do you uh, follow the leader uh, as someone who is uh, leading worship at a church, and how can you do that well? Yeah. Um, let me say a couple of introductory things before I before I outline uh, kind of the, what we had planned to talk about. The first thing is I didn't think about this when I was um, writing out these thoughts. But, you know, just because you're not a full time worship pastor who's submitting to a pastor, you're probably listening to this and submitting to someone. And For I sure. think I think these concepts will know better as we as we explore them, because I hadn't thought of it ahead of time. But I actually think they apply. I, I think if I were to be my bass player, for example, and I read these things and I thought of that relationship to me as his worship pastor, then they probably still qualify. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to find out if that's not true, because uh, then we'll have to start over. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the rules for submitting to authority are probably the same rules, regardless of who is submitting to what authority. I also appreciate so much your your sensitivity, Bethany, to the fact that some people have experienced the abuse of power, and so they they don't think of it as a place of safety, security, and freedom. They think of it as a place of danger and um, fear, and that's just not healthy authority. That's that's not the way it's supposed to work. Uh, right. A couple of decades ago, I read a book called The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse which was all about the whole concept of the fact that people who are in religious organizations sometimes use their authority to abuse others. That's not okay. That's not what this podcast is about. That's not what I'm about. 
Um, that's not what my pastor is about. I think if you talk to anybody that serves as a part of our church, they would agree with that. So th this is not in any way meant to be oppressive authority. Mm -hmm. It is, in fact, empowering authority. And that's what I experience when I follow my leader well. I, you guys have heard me say, I think on every podcast, the name of mm -hmm. Tim Harris. He is the best pastor ever. He's the best pastor I know. It's easy to follow him. Um, I've, I've been very blessed because I've, Woodburn is my seventh full-time ministry position, which is way too many. But in all of them, I have been able to, to work with pastors that I could respect and surrender mm -hmm. to. That doesn't mean that it was always easy. Mm -hmm. There have been times when I thought I could do their job better. <laughs> Heaven help me. I'm that was, I, so arrogant. Um, not having any idea what they're actually doing and thinking that I can do it better is just, it's idiocy to me now that I have a few more years under my belt. Um, but I, I do think it's, it's in some ways like that, you know, you mentioned uh, the, the word that we hate of submit, you know, Ephesians 521, which is a beautiful hinge verse. It wraps up the, the paragraphs mm -hmm. preceding it and sets up the paragraphs following it. So it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I think that mm -hmm. you're, if you're a worship pastor and your um, relationship with your pastor is not characterized by submission, then you are disobeying the directive of God. It's a mm -hmm. really strong statement, and I will stand by it. I, I, I fully believe that. Um, we'll, at the end, we'll come back to one possible exception, but I think. It's important to know that God's expectation of us is to submit to our leaders, to our authorities, to our, um, our pastors. And, and again, that's never in a way that creates um, oppression, but it is mm -hmm. in a way that creates submission. So, so there are four ways um, that I try to do that strategically or carefully or thoughtfully or consistently. Um, hopefully all of those. In worship planning, in sermon emphasis, in deference, and then by playing to his strengths. So um, let's take them one at a time. I, I wanna talk about worship planning. Bethany, you get to do this um, more than I do because you lead worship not just on Sundays, which is kind of what I'm doing right now, but you lead worship all over the place, all the time, conferences, um, special events, churches as a guest worship leader, including ours. Um, how do you try to submit to the pastor or the preacher um, when you are planning worship for an event? Are there some practical things that you do? Well, I do lead in a lot of different contexts. So um, oftentimes uh, I wanna know the time frame, first of all, okay. right? How long do you have or how long do I have so that I can plan accordingly? And this may come as a surprise to those listening or to, to you, even though I think I've said this to you before. Mm -hmm. um, for many years, I led worship at a church that was wonderful and healthy and I loved, but I did not know the sermon topic beforehand. So I actually couldn't plan the songs accordingly. However, uh, in the most recent years, oftentimes, if I'm leading at an event or, you know, at say your church, for example, I do know that ahead of time. And it does help so much because it helps to craft, obviously, the lyrics of the songs that I pick, possibly the order that I do them in. And, and then, of course, thinking about the time frame. 
because that's respectful. Yeah, I love that you brought up time because it's one of the places where I think there is often the most tension. And the, <laughs> the, and the, and, and the tension comes because of a lack of submission. Yes. If, if, I, if my pastor says to me, you have 20 minutes, and I think, what, 20? I need at least 30 then I'm going to be constantly frustrated. But if he says you have 20 minutes and I say, wow, I thought I'd only have 15, then my entire framework has changed and I'm grateful for the five extra minutes. That's a way that I can play tricks with my brain and say 20 minutes is enough. Um, in our church, it's probably about 20 minutes um, for the stuff that isn't required, which means the sermon and the passing of the plate which we can't do now because of COVID and announcements and whatever. So we have about 20 minutes and, um, and that's enough. And if I had 12 minutes, that would be enough because that's what I'm given. And what I'm given is always enough to do what I've been asked to do. God will never call us to do something. He's not going to give us the resources to do. And so however much time you have, just trust that that comes from your authority and use that Amen. time brilliantly. The less time you have, the more careful you have to be. And mm -hmm. so that means that you may leave out a chorus that you'd really like to sing, or it may mean you have to leave out a song you really that which happens to me every week. I always have more <laughs> songs that I want to do than, than we get to do. We typically do three or four songs on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. I typically want to do at least five or six. And so one act of submission with my pastor is to only do as much music as gives him ample time to preach in the way that he feels God is leading him to preach. Um, there's some other things that I, that I want to think about when I'm planning worship and, uh, submission to my pastor. Um, one Ooh, of can I interrupt you? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, go. <laughs> I just have to fit in this really quick story because it, it, Great. um, it showcases what you're talking about so beautifully. Several Great. years ago, we were doing worship Kentucky and we were supposed to have it outside and it poured rain. So we had to, at the last minute, move all of our sound equipment, find another venue to have an eight hour worship event. We ended up moving it to the Chamber of Commerce here in town. And we were late setting up all of the sound equipment, trying to get everything um, hooked up. And Alan Clark and his team from Real Life Church here in Bowling Green were, hot, were supposed to have a 50 minute set to start out the day. And it ended up being cut to about 17 minutes. Mm. And I will tell you, it was the most beautiful thing to me. It, it made me weep at the time because I was so stressed. Right. Alan just looked at me and he said, don't even worry about it. Don't even worry about it. We'll cut our set down. We'll make sure that the day stays on time. We're here to serve you guys. And it was just gorgeous. It was beautiful. That was yeah. an act of submission that was so holy. It was holy. Yeah. And that's a great example because he's there to serve. He's not there to be served, which I think our master kind of used that phraseology when he talked about what he came to do and we're supposed to do what he did. So I, I love that. Um, when I think about worship planning, I also want to lead worship in a way that my pastor resonates with. So if he has favorite songs um, or favorite sounds, um, for example, if he were to especially love rap music, which I can't say that he does, although he does a little bit of rapping. It's kind of fun to listen to the sound checks. Um, <laughs> then I would want to find a way to include a little bit of that. But more seriously, you know, if he's got a favorite song like Keith Gettys, May This Journey or Jesus Draw Me Over Nearer, 
Um, it's not a song that everybody knows and everybody does, but it's one of his favorites. And so it stays in the rotation. It's actually one of mine too. But if it weren't, I would it would still stay in the rotation. Um, he really liked the song Holy Water, which is really brand new as of the recording of this podcast. It's been out less than a year. Um, mm -hmm. And so we're going to do Holy Water. Like I, I want to do things that resonate with him because if I can lead a worship in a way, I can craft and design worship gatherings in such a way that when he steps up to preach, he feels like he is empowered by the encounter he's had with God, he's going to help us all have an encounter with God. Now, I don't want to idolize my pastor or any pastor. We're not there to create worship for a person. Um, I don't tailor everything to what my pastor likes. That, that's way overstatement. But the song right before the sermon, and I would love for that to be one of his favorite songs every time, and especially the song after the sermon. I want him to step into and out of his role being set up for success as much as I possibly, possibly can. And sometimes that takes a little work and a little conversation, and it's totally worth it. Uh, I, I love it when that happens. Our choir sang a piece, gosh, I can't even remember the title. It's been about two and a half years ago. He walked into rehearsal. We were in the sanctuary. Uh, we typically meet in our choir room, but we were in the sanctuary practicing it with the, the band. Um, and he said, that chord progression, that my, it's not fair because my pastor is also a musician and used to be a worship <laughs> pastor and all, you know, I mean, he's just amazing. Um, but he said that chord progression nearly moved me to tears. Well, when it was time to plan the choir near the next year, uh, you know, the talent, the choir content, um, I made sure to pick that anthem again. Like, why in the world would I not do something that was that powerful um, from my own pastor? So that's just a way... I think that I submit to his authority, even without it showing. Uh, nobody knows I do that. That's not going to show up in my personnel evaluation. He and I don't talk about it, but I just want to pay attention to it. I want to make sure that I set him up to succeed by creating worship gatherings um, that help. Um, there, there's more. Uh, just one more mm -hmm. thing. I, I want to plan gatherings that reflect his priorities more than on my own. So um, by that, I mean, if, if I were to say, I want kick drum and bass guitar to thump in somebody's chest, and when they walk in, they have a sense of that kind of heartbeat of music, um, and that's what I really want to be present in the room, and, and that's important to me. But my pastor says, I really want the congregation's voice to be the loudest thing in the room. Then I have to make a choice. Do I mm -hmm. pursue what I want as a musician or an artist or a lover of contemporary music, by the way, also a lover of traditional music, um, <laughs> then, I, then I have to say, okay, do I do what I want or do I do what he wants? And mm -hmm. every time I will do what he wants. And so we work hard with sound levels, um, with song selection, with key choice, all of the things that we do to make it so the congregation's voice is the loudest sound in the room. We sing a cappella nearly every Sunday. I missed that when we were recording services for online worship without people in the room because mm -hmm. it's, it's not the same but mm -hmm. that way the congregation always has a time where they hear themselves and they're aware of the fact that they are the worshipers that's what i mean by planning stuff in in a way that his priorities are reflected more than my own and so in worship planning i want to follow my leader and i want to make sure that my pastor is aware of the fact that i am following his lead that's beautiful and it's not always easy. 
<laughs> it is for me. And I don't mean that it's not always easy for me because I, I just get to work with Tim Harris. But not everybody does. And I understand that. I have a lot of friends in ministry. I probably know hundreds of people who are worship pastors, worship leaders as their primary gig. And, um, and for all of them, it's just not that way. And I know that it's hard. And so when I describe it, it sounds a little utopian. And I don't mean for it to. I do, however, believe with all of my heart that the more you behave this way, the better the relationship will be between you and your worship pastor. So if this is a place of struggle, it's all the more important to follow your leader in worship planning, to do things that serve him. Now, if he's an egotistical maniac, we'll come back to that at the end of the podcast. But in <laughs> general, um, follow your leader and, and let him know that, that he's worth following and that you are doing what you can to follow faithfully. Um, another way that I do it is in sermon emphasis. Uh, you know, our tradition, I'm Baptist. Uh, Bethany, you grew up Methodist. You've been a few things since then, uh, but basically we're <laughs> evangelicals. Um, and so in our tradition, which is different from Roman Catholics or Orthodox believers or Lutherans or even Anglicans, um, in our tradition, the sermon is kind of the jewel of the service. It's not the most important thing, I don't believe. It's not the only important thing for sure, but it's kind of the jewel. It's the thing that people walk away from church um, wanting to have seen, to experienced, et cetera. I, I, I kind of wish that my tradition was a little different and that the table of the Lord was as and held in as beautiful a seam as the word of the Lord is, um, mm. but that's not my reality. So uh, in sermon emphasis, I want to make sure that I'm following my leader. I want to do what I can to make the most of my pastor's sermon. So again, the song before and after the sermon are the ones that are most important to me to tie in. Uh, I try to do that in a way that's integrated, not necessarily thematic, but at least integrated so that it feels like, oh, yeah, after hearing that sermon, that's what I want to sing. Mm -hmm. Not just singing just as I am or I surrender all because those are the songs that you sing after sermons. That's great. <laughs> but what if it's a song about um, casting a brand new vision to plant churches around your region. Well, then sing Build Your Kingdom Here and have a party. You know, mm -hmm. the, the response should be to the word of God, not trying to get people to come to the altar, at least in, in many churches now. When I was a kid, it wasn't that way. Um, yeah. But how, do, how does the sermon require a response? And then what can we choose, if there is a time of response in song, what can we choose to to maximize that. So I want to help my pastor in sermon emphasis in the way that I plan. What would you add to that? Oh, well, I liked what you said about not necessarily thematic, mm -hmm. but that it somehow is integrated. Can you explain the difference? Because I think <clears throat> some people listening to this would say, okay, so if the sermon is about forgiveness, then every song that service needs to be about forgiveness. Like it needs to talk about it or have that word in it. Um. Yeah, I think it's a difference of scope. So forgiveness is a fairly narrow topic. It's a, it's a big topic, but it's a fairly narrow topic. But a, a bigger scope of, of forgiveness is the goodness of God. Mm. And bigger than that would be the greatness of God. <laughs> so I might have a song that has very specifically to do with forgiveness because I know that that's hard for people. Yeah. And I want them to be able to, um, I want them to be able to sing what's hard so they can do what's hard. Yeah. But there's more to forgiveness than just the act of forgiveness. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's forgive. One of the reasons we can forgive is because we trust in the goodness of God and the sovereignty of God. We know that God cares about us more than we care about ourselves, and therefore we can surrender revenge or um, avenging something that someone has done to us or whatever. We can surrender that to, because God is ultimately better than we are. And so we sing about the goodness of God. And the only mm-hmm. reason God is good is because he's also great. And so we can sing about the greatness of God. All of those are integrated, but mm-hmm. they aren't necessarily thematic. And so I would take whatever the theme is, find something that connects beautifully, and then blow up that thing to make it bigger. And so we're singing um, in a larger context. I, I, really, I really wish I had known decades ago to sing the story of God mm-hmm. rather than to sing one thing about the theme in the story of God. So in every service, we try to sing the gospel, mm-hmm. the whole gospel. And, and, you know, I don't mean every detail of everything, but we, we sing about um, God's grace and love and mercy and forgiveness and the cross and, and all of that. We sing that every week, um, but we don't, we don't sing it in such a way that, um, that it loses touch with what in, an individual story is. So God's story is giant. It's the meta narrative. And it includes the provision for forgiveness, which is the death of Jesus on the cross, which then makes it possible for us to do what Jesus did. He hung on a cross and said, forgive them. If he was doing that hanging on a cross, then surely I can do that sitting in the comfort of my family room. So anyway, all of that. That was beautiful. And I was trying to hide my laughter, not because what you said was funny, but because I I kind of joke about Baptist plays. Baptist mm. Christmas plays because because it's a Baptist Christmas play it's probably going to have the creation the flood the the of course the birth of Jesus the death his resurrection his second coming and the final judgment like all in the Christmas play the whole gospel there you go the whole gospel. Yep. yeah that is funny sorry yeah. I was trying okay. to muffle myself over here thank you um yeah and that is kind of the whole gospel. And we don't have to sing all of that every week. But the heart of the gospel is atonement. And so we want to sing some part of the gospel every week. And we want people, I, I've, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but if, if lightning should strike the building and we have to evacuate right before the sermon is preached, I want people who came to church that Sunday to have heard the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, let's just make sure That's that dramatic. We, it is dramatic. Um, and not that it's ever happened, but it could. Um, that's kind I of love what, that about you. Thank you. <laughs> that, that's what I mean by integrated is that you find the, the small thing and then you find where it fits in the big picture of, of who God is so that we're always singing God's story. Yeah, that's and beautiful. To connect it. I love that. Good. I hope it's helpful. The um, next one's there, probably the hardest because mm, you're talking yeah. about deferring, which yeah. means basically letting somebody else have their way instead of you. Uh, I find this very, uh, very hot topic with my children. Mm. What is the proper way for them to defer <laughs> when they have a desire and I have a desire? Um, it's going to be mine. <laughs> Usually not always, not always. Right. Uh, but what is, what is the proper way to defer to my authority as their parent? Now, this is not exactly the same, and it's, it's obviously also different in marriage. Something similar, mm-hmm. something's different. But how do mm-hmm. you defer truly and not have a chip on your shoulder? 
honestly. Yeah, I love the fact that the word deference rhymes with the word preference. And so if it is simply a preference, then the only reason I would not defer is selfish, which means I don't always need to get my preferences. They're just preferences, which are very different from convictions. Mm. And so if I am being asked to defer something that for me is a conviction, that requires a conversation. And, and that would be true with my parent or my spouse, just like it is with my pastor. So if my mother said to me, or my wife said to me, or my pastor said to me, I want you to do this thing. And my conviction was, I, I don't think I can do that. That's just not okay. That's not right. Then we need to have a conversation. And that conversation will help me discern and help them discern whether this level rises to the level of conviction or if it's a matter of preference. Some of my convictions, other people would consider to be my preferences. Mm. And so that's where the conversation is so helpful because now you're trying to get to a place of clarity and understanding, mutual understanding. Because if my pastor or my wife or my mother were to say, I didn't realize that was such a dearly held conviction for you, then they might in a heartbeat defer because to them it was just a preference. Sure. And where there's a battle of convictions, then there has to be a battle of conversation, of convictions, of, of, um, of finding the, the why. Peel the onion back, get to, why, well, why does that matter so much? And then eventually we're going to get to a place where we go, okay, I'm fine with us using that secular song or not using that secular song, or I'm fine with using that person or not using that person, or whatever the issue is. And those are a couple that, you know, come up regularly. Um, not in my church, but in the world of worship leading, um, then you get there, but you get there through conversation. If it's easy for me to identify as a preference, then it ought to be easy for me to defer because my preferences just aren't that important. They're certainly not more important than that of my leader. And so I would want to perhaps speak my preference, but never demand my preference. Does that help? Yes. I mean, that still doesn't sound super easy. (laughs) Mm. Well, yeah. Oh, this is awful. I don't think I've said this um, to you or the podcast before, but (laughs) somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 years ago, I had like this wrestling match with Galatians 2.20 that says, I'm crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. The life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God. I am crucified with Christ. And so I just started praying pretty much every day for years, God, would you crucify Mm. pride out of me? Would you crucify Mm. pride out of me? And somewhere in the neighborhood of five or six years ago, I kind of woke up to the fact that crucifixion is really painful. Yes. And I had been asking God to crucify pride out of me and wondering why it hurt. Well, (laughs) you doofus. (laughs) (laughs) And, and he was, um, in all of his gentleness, which felt brutal, mm. chipping away at the parts of me that are filled with pride. And really, preference is connected to pride. If it's what I think or what I want, then that's just pride. And if I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live, then my preferences, when they sneak back in, they're just what Paul would say, the old man or the flesh. That's just him trying to come back. And so every opportunity to defer is an opportunity to die to myself, which is hard, but it's the way that Christ comes more fully alive in me. Now, that's really 
pretty, um, I guess, plumbing the depths of personal discipleship and that kind of thing. But my goodness, if the leaders can't do that, how would we expect our people to? And so exactly. I want to go first. And I'm better at that than I was five years ago. I don't know if I'm better at it than I was five months ago, but I hope I am. I'll know that in a year or two. It, it, to me, it's not the kind of thing that shows up quickly, but mm-hmm. it does show up. Again, my pastor's a little bit better at that than I am. He's, he's quicker to defer than I am because I think he's farther down that path than I am. And I'm probably better at it than some other folks around me. I, I don't care. I don't say that to compare myself. I simply say that to say, no matter where you are on that path, just continue you down can that get path. Better. And you, yeah. Exactly. And you will discover <laughs> that having more of Christ in you because you have less of you in you is better. Yes. There's pain to get there, but once you get there, it's better. And, and that's just straight up Bible discipleship stuff. So practice. Yeah. The more you can defer, the better you'll get at it. And the better you get at it, the more like Jesus you will be. And the more like Jesus you will be, the better your life and your leadership will be. That's good. One more. And that is, I want to play to his strengths. So I want to defer or or lead. I want to follow his lead in worship planning. I want to follow his lead in sermon emphasis. I want to follow his lead in deference. And I want to follow his lead by playing to his strengths. And, And by that, I mean, I want to maximize whatever he's good at. So if I can come alongside of him and I discover something that he's doing well and there's anything in the world I can do to help him shine in that, I want to do that. For example, for about two or three years, I was saying to my pastor and to some key leaders at our church, I think Tim's conversation needs to be in the world of the internet. It needs to be on YouTube. It needs to be on Facebook. His voice needs to be one of the voices that people hear. and. And I say that because one of his extraordinary strengths is his ability to articulate scriptural biblical truth in a way Mm -hmm. that's compelling. um, It's inviting. He can correct us and we feel like he loves us. That's hard to do. He's brilliant at it. And a lot of people that I hear on the internet are either afraid to correct because they sound hateful or they're not afraid enough to correct and they do sound hateful. And so I just really, for, for a long time, have felt like and started saying out loud, what do we need to do to get Tim online? Well, about three or four months ago, when COVID was evident that it was going to stay around, he started doing 10 with Tim on Facebook Live, 10 o'clock every weekday morning. He does 10 minutes and it has exploded. There are thousands of people who listen to my pastor from a little church in the soybean fields of Kentucky. <laughs> In a town with a population of 350, there are thousands of people who listen to what he says because his voice is online. I don't say that to take credit for it. I just say that's playing to his strengths. I identified one of his strengths. I tried to come alongside in a way that helped him make the most of what those strengths are. And it has been um, beautiful to watch how that's happened. And our church has grown because people have connected with him on Facebook Live at 10 o'clock in the morning. It's the most bizarre Mm-hmm. Um, kind of uh, coordination of events and efforts, but it, it's happened. We have people who are attending our church now who weren't before the coronavirus because of Ten with Tim. That's just amazing, but that's what I mean by playing to his strengths. So whatever his strengths are, I want to maximize them. Whatever he does well, I want to I want him to do it even better. Um, and I think all of us can find things that our pastor does well, and then do what we can to partner with them to make them. Even better. Kind of showcase that. Yeah. Or or just maximize. Even if it's not 
showcased as unseen by more people because some things our pastors do well are not seen and, and that's mm-hmm. by design and that's good and that's beautiful like counseling um, mm-hmm. again tim is a brilliant counselor I, there are some things he's not good at i promise he's not like jesus <laughs> but he's really good at preaching he's really good at counseling and so People don't need to know who's coming to see him as a counselor, but I need to know that he's good as a counselor so that when somebody is in need and it Mm -hmm. surpasses what I feel like I have to offer them, I can just say, you know, here are a couple of things I would suggest, but can I just encourage you to reach out to Tim? Because he would love Mm -hmm. to sit down with you. Or if it's a married couple, he would love to sit down with you guys. And, And so that's not showcasing because I'm not putting him in the spotlight. It's just making sure that his strengths are maximized. And, and that's really important. And so now that those were the four things um, before we get to a couple of concluding thoughts, does this work in the band member to worship pastor or in the um, mentee mentor relationship or whatever, are these things that carry over? I think so. Absolutely. Yeah. I've been just, just a worship team member, you know, many right. times and, and had that experience of deferring. Um, mm-hmm. to the when leader's preference. Yeah, yep. <laughs> sometimes it's hard. Yep. Um, and in our, for example, our one church community, when uh, we work on events together, we're all worship leaders, but mm-hmm. we try to pick the person who's best for that song, for example, and then cheer that person on. You know, and I routinely hear people saying things to each other, like, man, you sing that in a way I never could. Or man, when you hit that note, it just it just sings, you know. It's it's yeah. uh, we mutually support one another and we appreciate the things about one another. In our songwriting group, there are people that are better at melody, and there are some people who are better at lyrics. So you want to try to get those people together if you want to write a song. But we we know that you know so and so is better at melody. So if you're having trouble with that, contact that person. And I would say if you're within driving distance of Bowling Green, Kentucky, find out when the next one church event will be whenever we're you know, allowed to be together again and come and watch it. If you're a worship leader, come early and watch the run through. It's, it's not going to like inspire you to technical greatness. It's not going to inspire you to, oh, that's how you logistically make things work. But I promise you it's going to inspire you to see how the people can relate to one another in mutual submission. Yes. Um, I, I've been a, cu- a part of just a couple of those, but at both of them, I have been astounded at what you just described. And these are all mm-hmm. leaders. These are all people who yes. can lead. And some of them do lead sizable worship ministries or yes. excellent worship ministries or both. And I'm telling you, it's just incredible to watch this follow the leader dynamic. Like, okay, um, T. Martell, you're leading this song, which means I'm going to step in the background because what a privilege it is to be like a backup harmony singer for you and then we swap places and it's just as much that way as anybody else's and that it's just a it's an incredible dynamic and a great picture of what um what we're describing so yeah if you live nearby um check it out reach out to us if you want to know more just we need to wrap up we're we're out of time but a couple of things um that i do want to say in conclusion to all of this there is a chain of command god is the boss your pastor is not the boss. God is the boss. That's right. What God says goes. But under the shepherd with a capital S, the one we call Jesus, is a shepherd we call pastor with a lowercase s. He's next in line. You're not. That's just the prescription of the Bible. 
And if you're in doubt about that, read some in Hebrews. Um, read some in other places, but especially in Hebrews. Uh, there, there is really clear, I think it's especially the 13th chapter, there's really clear instruction about what pastoral authority is. And authority is not a bad word. It's a beautiful word. Abuse is a terrible thing and not supposed to be a part of that. So uh, God is the boss. Jesus is the shepherd with a capital S. Your pastor is the capital with a lowercase s. And whenever I make myself ahead of either shepherd, I am a sheep without a shepherd. And that's a dangerous place to be. I've been there. I promise you, it is not a place where you will thrive. It's not a place where you will be led to meadows where you can graze or feel like you are safe. Mm -hmm. So I encourage you to submit when it's easy and when it's hard. And make sure your pastor knows you're submitting. That doesn't mean you're sucking up. It just means that you're doing it in such a way that he knows or she knows if you're in a part of a tradition where there are women pastors. And, and if you can't submit, this is where it gets hard. But if you can't submit, then figure out what you need to do. Because you either need to find a way to submit or you need to find a way to serve somewhere else. If you're not obeying Ephesians 5.21, which is a command to submit to one another, then you are by definition sinning. And the ministry that you're leading is a ministry that is characterized by your sinfulness. And God will not bless you or that ministry in ways that he would otherwise. So get to a place where you can be fully obedient. And again, I, I, I think you can fight for it with the pastor you have, but there might come a time when you can't get there. And so you have to say, I need to find another place to serve. Do all of that with grace. Do all of that with respect. Do all of that with um, being above board. Do all of that in a way that honors Jesus and makes the most of his beautiful bride, the church. Um, but do what you can. And when there's nothing left that you can do, then do what you have to do. Is that too harsh, Bethany? No, I, I think that's needed. I think somebody listening to this podcast even right now needs to hear that. Yeah. Um, because staying where you are and not submitting is not an option. Yeah. It actually is an option. It's just not a godly option. It's a terrible it's, option. <laughs> it's, it's a sin, it is a sin-filled option. And, and that sounds like overstatement until you just start reading the Bible. And then you go, yeah. oh, yeah. And, and again, if the Bible is our source of authority, if we're going to take our cues from what the Bible says to do instead of what we think is right or what we feel like is right, even more dangerously, then we have to submit to the rule of Scripture. Um, and I just encourage you to do that. So talk to your pastor about this. You might even listen to this podcast together and ask in a sense of, or in a spirit of cooperation and submission, tell me how I can submit to your leadership better. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine what that would do for your pastor? Especially <laughs> if you've been struggling. Yes. Um, and, and not because it's our content, but because you are demonstrating for them a desire to be in a submissive role. And mm -hmm. most pastors, most of them, will do what they can to help you succeed, help you thrive, and they will take that gesture seriously, especially if you can mm -hmm. back it up with behavior. So Absolutely. follow the leader, follow the leader. God is your leader. If God is telling you to do something and your pastor is telling you to do something different, that conflict that you have to work through because you have to follow your leader. Um, but the, the, God has put your pastor as the authority in your life. So submit surrender and be delighted that you are under the cover of his authority. It is a safe mm -hmm. place to be. Um, yes. So yeah, follow your leader.
I, I should say, um, as we conclude, when you don't follow your leader, you're going to keep people's souls from singing. Mm. They're going to be aware of the tension. Even if they never are aware of it directly, they're going to be aware of it indirectly. They're going to be aware of the, the dynamic that isn't cooperative, isn't collaborative. It isn't spirit side by side, shoulder to shoulder. We're taking on the enemy together. And, and you're going to keep people from doing the very thing that you're listening to the podcast to be able to do. And that is to make every soul sing. It's what makes the church real. And so help us spread the word, um, share this podcast, share it on social media. If you're listening uh, and you can rate it, review it on iTunes or Spotify, by all means, please do. We'd love to hear that. If there's a way we can help you through this, I would love to help. I, I don't know that I can do anything, but anything I can do, I will do. And so email me at rodellis at gmail.com. That's two E's in the middle, Rod Edward Ellis. So rodellis at gmail.com, and I'll help in any way I can. And as always, we just love to hear anything from you. So let us know that you're listening and in what way we can serve you, um, especially if there's content you'd like to hear us talk about. Um, this is one of those things that is really, really present and really, really difficult. And so I, I hope that this has been helpful. Thanks for listening, friends. Bethany, thank you. You are um, a good friend and uh, a good worship leader and a good daughter of God. It is such a privilege to do this with you. Thank you. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. See you next time, everybody. Bye-bye.